Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good morning, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your conversations. I hope you can continue them as the day goes on. Thank you. Someone just said I look beautiful. That's a great way to start a sermon. Thank you. Hey, um, I am afraid of many things, um, but this morning I want to let you know that probably the top of the fear list for me is birds. <laughs> so I just want to put that out there just as, a, uh, as I watch that pigeon all morning. Hopefully uh, he will stay at the back of the auditorium this morning. Why don't we pray this morning? Father God, thank you so much that we have this incredible opportunity to be in this place, to be in this space with you. And I pray, God, this morning, we would not take one moment for granted, that we would just sit and soak up all that you and your Holy Spirit have for us this morning, that God, in everything that we hear, in everything that we experience, it would all be pointing us toward your heart and your purposes, and your love for us. So God, thank you for the opportunity. I pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would use me, God. Anything that is me in this, God, I pray that it would be put aside, and everything that we have this morning would be of you. And God, it says in your word, on the fifth day, you created birds for the sky, and so I pray that that bird would return to the sky, or that you would call him home right now, In the powerful name of Jesus, we said amen. Well, it is great to be here with you this morning, and it's, I think, a week into December, and standing in front of Christmas trees, I'm allowed to say Merry Christmas, right? Like, we're there now. So, Merry Christmas, and it's great to be in this series, um, our Christmas series called Hark, uh, which Jace kicked off last week uh, as he introduced us or, or, or reminded us of the story of Zechariah. And today, we're going to look at uh, one of the central characters of the Christmas story, and that is Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, one of my favorite Christmas songs is Mary, Did You Know? You know that one? Mary, Did You Know? I'm not going to sing the whole song. I'll leave that for Jace when he gets up later. Um, But, uh, you know, I've been thinking about that song the last few weeks every time I walk through a Coles and it's playing over the loudspeaker, and I've been wondering, what did Mary know? You know, she has this incredibly unique view of Jesus. She is the mother of Jesus. She was pregnant with Jesus. And as someone who has carried a child and been pregnant with uh, with two children now, um, I I can tell you that that's a unique relationship. You know, like I felt like I knew my kids before everyone else did. I sort of had this different perspective on, on children being there Mom, and so Mary has this incredible view of who Jesus is. She gets to witness Jesus from uh, before birth right through uh, his, his, his childhood, his teen years, his young adult years, right into when he launches his ministry into his 30s. And she has this unique view of who Jesus is, and it makes me wonder, well, what did Mary know? What, what did she know? What did she know that perhaps you and I don't know or others didn't know. What did 
Mary. No, well, what do we know about, about Mary? We know that uh, she was young and she was engaged to a man named Joseph. And, um, and, and the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Mary, you are with child. And she says, how can that be? I am a virgin. And he says to her, you are pregnant with the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We know that uh, Mary raised up Jesus to be a good Jewish boy. We see Mary um, taking Jesus to the temple and a whole range of different things. We know that Mary had other children, um, including James, the brother of Jesus, who we get the book of James from. And, uh, and she raised all of those children up to be good Jewish boys and girls. Uh, we know that Mary was at the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus actually speaks to Mary from the cross. It's a powerful moment in Scripture. And we know that Mary went to visit the grave of her son and found it empty because he was alive. So we know that about Mary. What did Mary know? And I think she knew more than we give her credit for. And I think that because of another moment where Mary is in Scripture. And it's where we see Mary attending a wedding with Jesus. So I want to go there with you this morning. Um, it's in John chapter 2. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, uh, toward the end of the Bible, there are four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are all separate accounts of the story and life of Jesus written by, you'll be surprised to know, guys named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, John's book uh, is, is an incredible account of Jesus' life and ministry. And John does it a little bit differently to the other guys. John doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He leaves that to Matthew and Luke. John starts his account and story of Jesus um, with, with Jesus as an adult starting his ministry. And John was actually writing from an eyewitness perspective. So he was more often than not in the actual room that Jesus was doing and saying these things in. And so his account of the story of Jesus can be trusted and can be seen as true because he was actually there. This is his eyewitness account of the story of Jesus. And John does something really important and really unique in how he outlines the story of Jesus. He doesn't just kind of throw in facts and moments and stories and, and miracles and teaching here and there. He actually organizes his book, his story of Jesus, around what he calls seven signs. And so what happens is you and I both know that the story of Jesus is littered with these miracles that Jesus performs. You know, we, we, we've sort of heard about these miracles where Jesus heals and he walks on water and he does all these incredibly impossible things and we call them miracles. And, and John organizes his gospel, organizes his book around seven of those miracles. He actually says at the end of the book there were more than what he talks about, but he organizes his book about these around these seven miracles. But what I find really interesting about the way that John does this is that he doesn't call them miracles. He actually calls them signs. He calls them the seven signs of Jesus. And the reason that he does that is so important. It's because John believes that when Jesus was performing miracles, it wasn't about the miracle. It was actually a sign that pointed to something. 
And that something was the identity of Jesus. John shows us these signs, these miraculous works of Jesus, because he believes that the the reason Jesus did them was not random. They weren't random acts of kindness. They weren't just Jesus kind of showing off. They actually had purpose. And the purpose was to point people toward the character and the identity of God. And so that's what John does in his gospel for us. You see, John doesn't want us to be in, become enamored with the miraculous, but he wants us to become enamored with the one the signs point to. John says the reason Jesus performs these miraculous wonders is so that we will understand more of who God is. So John chapter 2 It's the very first of these seven signs. And you've probably heard, even if you've never read the Bible before, never come to church before, you've probably heard about this miracle or this sign. Um, In fact, John writes his account of this moment in a way that he assumes the people who are reading it know about this miracle. Because this moment, this moment in time, this miracle, this sign, this wonder became such a well-known story in the first century. It became sort of, it was stitched into the fabric of society and culture that was the first century. Everybody knew the one where Jesus turns the water into wine. It's Jesus' first miracle, and we find Mary, the mother of Jesus, there. So on the third day, it says this in John 2, chapter 1, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana, In Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, that's Mary, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Important point, Jesus and his disciples were there. One of those disciples is John who is writing this. It is an eyewitness account. It's not something that someone has told him he was in the room. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So let me just paint a little picture for you of what's going on here. Because this is not an average wedding. This is a wild wedding. Why do I say that? Because you would know probably, and as I know, that in this culture, in this ancient culture, a wedding was a big deal. This is how you sort of show off to people in your neighborhood. And so for 12 months probably, the preparations have been being made Uh, in order to make sure this wedding goes off in the way that they want it to go off. And one of the big things you had to make sure you did was get the calculations for food and, more importantly, alcohol per guest. Because if you didn't have the right amount of food or, more importantly, alcohol for the guests, that can bring shame upon your family. Because what it says to everybody is that you have over-invited people. You can't afford to have this many people at your wedding. And so it was a huge deal to run out of wine at this wedding. And so what's happened here is even after 12 months of, of calculations and working out what was going to happen and how much we needed and how making sure that we had the right amount, they have invited people who have sucked down so much sauce that things have gotten wild and they have run out of wine. And so things are starting to get embarrassing and Mary somehow finds out. 
Now, most scholars agree that Mary was probably a part of the organizing committee. Maybe this was a family wedding scene as Jesus is there. Maybe it's a close family friend, at least a cousin, you know. So, so somehow, word has gotten to Mary that the wine has run out. And so, um, and so Mary, Mary goes to Jesus and does what all mums do. Instead of asking a question or making a request or giving a direction, she makes a statement. Like, you know, mums do this all the time, right? Like, hmm, these rooms are very dirty. Or, hmm, there seems to be a lot of rubbish that needs to go to the bin. Mary doesn't ask a question or give a direct result, uh, give a direct uh, request. She goes to Jesus and she says, hmm, the wine has run out. Sure, wish I knew a miracle worker who could do something about it. You know, isn't that such a mum thing that, that, that she does? She goes to Jesus and she says, hey, the wine's run out. And Jesus' response, well, it's a little bit offensive. He says this, woman, do not try that at home. You can only get away with calling your mum woman if you are God. I promise you, don't say Jesus does it. It will not fly. And actually, this is the right translation. There's, there's no problem with translation here. The translation is correct, but we probably put our 21st century le- culture lens over the top of a first culture, a first century culture. And, and what we see is this offensive remark, but probably it's more accurate to suggest that Jesus, it's kind of like him saying, my lady or my lady in sort of old English. It's sort of a formal way of speaking to his mum. And we don't know why. Maybe he was being funny or, or maybe he was just in a, a public context and didn't want to go, oh, mom! You know, like that's what a son would do when you say, hmm, there's no more wine. So it's sort of a formal sort of way to, to speak to his mum. But Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. So Mary And this just blows my mind how Mary behaves here. Because there's a couple of things we need to remember. The first is, Jesus has done exactly zero miracles up to this point. Zero. He is not the guy that as you flip the pages of John or any of the gospel writers and see hordes and crowds of people following him to ask for their children to be healed by him. He's not there yet. He has performed exactly zero miracles. But there's something in Mary that she thinks maybe Jesus can do something about this. There's something that Mary has witnessed in Jesus, in her relationship with him, that she thinks Jesus can help me out here. What do I do when I'm faced with this problem? Jesus is here. I'll go and ask him. Amazing. The second is, this is Je- this, Jesus has performed zero miracles. If he is about to launch his ministry of miracles, is he really going to provide more alcohol? I mean, Mary, come on. Like, Jesus has yet to manifest his miraculous working powers, and you're asking him for more alcohol? I think you've had too much. (laughs) It's incredible. I mean, if Jesus is going to launch his ministry of miracles, surely he can go and find someone who's dead and bring them to the wedding and be like, he's alive. More drinks for the wild party? But again, there's something in Mary 
that she's faced with a problem that affects her, it affects her family and her friends, and she thinks, well, Jesus is here. I'm going to go and ask him. And then what happens next is absolutely ridiculous. Because Mary then says to Jesus, hey, there's no wine. And, Ma- and Jesus says, what's that got to do with me? That's not the plan. This is, this is not the plan. And yet, what Mary does next says that maybe it is. In verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So Mary walks up to her son and says, you know, hey, miracle worker, can you do something about the wine? He says, no. And she goes, servants, something's about to go down. Does she not hear him? Does she not hear the way that he says, that's not the plan, Mary? But there's something in Mary, there's something that she understands about Jesus that that, that I don't understand, maybe, because even though Jesus is the saviour of the world, He's got a whole universe that he has come to redeem. He is on this great rescue mission, the greatest rescue mission there has ever been or ever will be. She asked him to supply more alcohol for a wedding. And then when he says no, and it's a big no, she somehow decides that he's still going to do something about it. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely astonished at how she interacts with Jesus here. You know, do you ever think that your prayers are too small for God? You know, why would God listen to my prayer about that? He's got way bigger things on his plate than my silly little request. What's the point? What's the point? God has a whole universe to look after. He doesn't mind about my child, my baby that won't sleep, my teenager that won't stop sleeping, my job, my family, the conflict I'm in, the financial situation I'm in. Why would God care about those little incy-bincy things in my life when he has a whole universe to rule and reign over? Do you ever think like that? You know, do you ever tell yourself to get some perspective? You know, why would God care about that? when he's got a whole world to look after. I know I do. But Mary doesn't seem too bothered by that. Mary has a need, walks to Jesus and says, can you do something about it? And furthermore, believes that he will. It's incredible. You see, I think Mary knows something that we struggle to understand and comprehend, something that actually is quite impossible. And that is that Jesus is as involved, as interested, and as invested in all of you as much as he is in all of us. You see, we, we see this, we, we, we blow up this verse, John 3, 16, right? Most quoted Bible verse of all time. You've probably got a cushion with, that some old person stitched into it and put it on your couch, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe shall not perish but have eternal life. And we look at that verse, and that's a great verse. I mean, that's sort of, you know, behind everything that we believe. But we see the word world, and what we do is we say, yeah, God loves the world. Yeah, he does. He does love the world, and I'm in it, so he loves me too. And we put distance between God and ourselves as individuals. 
We say, yeah, 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 he's got the whole world in his hands and I'm on the world, so therefore I'm in his hands. But we see ourselves as inconsequential and little in that space. You know, it's like, have you ever been asked out on a date and, uh, you know, take your mind back, some of you. Have you ever been asked out on a date and you were so excited about it? You know, it's like being asked out on a date and you're really excited about it and you think about what you're going to wear and how your hair is going to be and what you're going to smell like and all those, you know, important things. Only to turn up at the meeting place for the date and realize you had totally misread the situation. This is a party. It's not a date after all. This is actually a big party and there's lots of people invited. You know, we can view our relationship with Jesus in the same way. We, we feel like we've been invited into this intimate relationship. And maybe when you first gave your life to Christ, it felt like that, only to realize that we've been invited to a party with 7 billion other people. And we know that Jesus is there, and it's kind of like, you know, Jesus is there. If you see him, you know, say hi to me. Say, say hi for me. But we put this distance between ourselves, between ourselves and God and say, he probably doesn't have time for me. I'm only one small part of a vast and ridiculously big universe. But Mary doesn't see it that way. In Titus uh, chapter 2, uh, Titus is a letter that Paul writes to a man named Titus. Um, and uh, he says, I'm reading the ESV, so if you're on your screen, change to the ESV, otherwise just have a look on the screen. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good work a people for his own possession, a people for his own possession. This phrase used by Paul in this letter to Titus, Peter will use it as well actually in 2 Peter, but this phrase has been translated from one Greek word, actually two Greek words that are compounded together. And, and these words can literally be translated to be and around, to be and around. And the picture that these words, that this translation paints for us is if you are a dot, then the love of God is a perfect and complete and unchanging and never-ending circle around you. And you see, what we do is that we think about the love of God when we look at John 3.16 and we hear, for God so loved the world, is that we put a globe and then draw a circle around the globe and say that is a perfect and unchanging and never-ending circle, and that is God's love. But actually, what Paul says to Titus, what Peter says in his book as well, is that you are an obsession, a possession of God. You see, God is obsessed with you. The Scriptures say that he has counted every hair on your head. I mean, I haven't even done that to my own children. I have no idea how many hairs they have. He's counted every hair on your head. That is obsessive. You know, it says in the scripture that the angels are even mystified by how much God loves us humanoids. Yet the angels cannot get over the love that God has for us. You see, we put distance between ourselves. But what Jesus says, what God says, is when we select a relationship with him, it is all about us. 
And it's hard to understand, it's hard to fathom because basically it's impossible, but God loves you like he loves nobody else. You know, God made you and put you on this world because there was no you and he wanted a you on the world. God is obsessed with you as an individual. God wants to know, wants to walk alongside you in life and understand all that you're going through and hear from you all of your requests. He's obsessed with you. Does he love the world? Yes. Does he love you? Yes. You are his own possession. He is obsessed with you. And I, I, think, I think Mary knew this. I think the way that she had witnessed Jesus grow, behave from a baby uh, into a man, she knew because she doesn't hesitate to come to him with her seemingly small request and trust that he will alter his universal plan for her small need. Mary knows that Jesus is invested and interested and involved in her and her needs and desires. He is invested in her story and in her life, in her past, in her present and in her future. That's what Mary knows. And that's what gives her the confidence to go to the saviour of the world and say, hey, we need more wine. You know, the the story of Christmas, uh, the, the story of Jesus coming to earth in the form of a baby is really God's invasion his involvement, God's declaration to human history of how intimately and engaged and involved he is with humans. You know, so much so that he became a baby. He came into this world as a human to show you how much he loves you in a way that you might have a unique relationship with him. Christmas is a story of miracles. A virgin birth, angels declaring the saviour of the world's arrival, and Mary was there from the very beginning. And she plays this incredible role, not just in the birth of Jesus, but actually entering into a unique and a powerful relationship with Jesus. And she shows us just how powerful that relationship can be. If we understand just how powerful the relationship that we have with Jesus can be, then we will understand how powerful the one we are in a relationship with is. And I reckon John had an inkling too. I reckon uh, that John sort of understood this idea of how much God loves us individually and uniquely. Because John continues the story of Jesus turning water into wine after Mary exits the scene. It says this in verse 6. Now, There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now, draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, meaning once they're too drunk to taste it, then you bring out the cheap stuff. But you have kept the good wine until now. 
Now, there's a reason John includes this miracle in his seven signs that he forms the story of Jesus around. There's a reason. This is not random. This is not just Jesus giving into the pressure of his demanding mother. You see, John uses a very, has a very specific uh, point in his scripture here. He uses very specific icons to tell the story. You see, those six stone water jars play a very important part in pointing us to the mission of God. Because you and I know that in Jewish culture and custom, there was a very strict and precise cleansing law. And when you entered into any sort of holy event or any sort of uh, communal sort of situation like a wedding, a holy union between two people, you would have to go through a cleansing ritual. And that's what these six stone jars of water are there for, so that everyone who walks into the wedding can be clean before God and before the wedding party as they come into the wedding. And John tells us that because Jesus specifically uses those Jewish icons to launch his ministry of miracles. Why? Because Jesus was going to replace them. Jesus decides to go public by using something that would soon be replaced and replaced by him. Because the stone jars for cleaning, they weren't going to be needed for much longer. Because Jesus was going to provide an eternal and irreversible way to be clean. You see, the reason for Christmas, the reason that we celebrate is not a baby. I'm real grateful for that baby. But the reason that we celebrate Christmas is because that baby grew up into a man who was spotless, who was perfect, who was flawless, who was sinless, and who was totally clean, And he took the punishment of sin for people like you and people like me who are not spotless, who are not perfect, who are not flawless, and who are unclean. By definition, we are sinners. And Jesus provided a way for us to be clean. Jesus paid the price for all of humanity's sin and whatever sin would be committed. Because he had no sin of his own, therefore he could take care of your sin and my sin. He paid the ultimate penalty. He died a horrible, torturous death, was buried for three days, rose again, resurrected, lives and rules and reigns over the affairs of heaven and earth today. Can somebody say amen? He is the savior of the world. He is the definition of love. And he is the reason that we celebrate. Because Christmas takes us to the cross. Christmas is a sign that points to the cross. The cross, which gives us hope and victory and sets the enslaved souls of human beings free. Because of what Jesus has done That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Did Mary know all of that? I don't know. But I know what she did know. She knew that Jesus came to this earth so that she could have a relationship with him. And the same is true for you and for me. A relationship with God that is defined by intimacy and uniqueness. You see, God loves you 
like he loves nobody else. God loves you like he loves nobody else. He is interested, he is invested, and he is in your story. There is no small prayers. They don't exist. Everything that your heart desires and requests is of interest to God. And Mary walks around believing that not only is God interested in her and what is before her, but that he's going to do something about it. How would your prayers change? How would your life change if you lived in a relationship with Jesus like that? I'm going to get the band up. Mary knew that Jesus was powerful and had the authority of God to perform miracles and signs. And John shows us that this miracle, the turning of water into wine, points to a saviour who would bring salvation to the world and make that which is unclean, clean, and eradicate sin from the world with his ultimate sacrifice. That's how God works. He is both personal and sovereign. He works in the smallness of your world and the vastness of the universe. He cares as much about your affairs as he does the state of humankind. And you might ask, well, how is that possible? How is it possible that he could love me the same way that he loves the whole world? Well, he is the God of the impossible. How does a virgin become pregnant? How does wine come from water? How does a man walk on the sea? How does a man die on the cross and then three days later come back to life? God is the God of the impossible. And he invites you and he invites me into a relationship that is unique, into a relationship that is defined by the love that he has for you. He is obsessed with you. There are no small prayers when it comes to God because he wants to know what's on your heart. He wants you to be walking with him every day and be talking to him like you're in a relationship that's defined by intimacy. He doesn't want you to hold back. He doesn't want you to make decisions for him. He wants you to come to him and say, you're the miracle worker. You would alter your plan for me here. That's what he wants. That's what he came to earth for so that you and I could have that sort of relationship with him. How would your life change? How would your prayers change? How does your Christmas change? By seeing yourself encircled by the love of God. Just you. No one else. Not the whole world. Not the whole universe. Just you. Because that's what God is about. God is about you. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the cross. I just want to sit there for a moment, Lord, and just remind myself of what you did for me. I'm so grateful, Lord. I don't have words to express 
how grateful I am that I can stand before you, before people, before this world and say, I am free, I am clean, I am worthy, I am loved because of the work that you did on the cross. God, I pray now as we sit in this moment that you would remind each and every one of us what we have witnessed in you. The same way, Lord, that Mary witnessed you from a very young age all the way into what she saw you do on earth. God, what have we witnessed? Remind us now, Lord. Touch our souls, touch our hearts, touch our minds. Remind us of the moments of your faithfulness, your kindness, your all-encompassing and empowering love for us. And help us to remember, Lord, that you are obsessed with Help us to walk differently and pray differently and talk differently and interact with you and others differently because of that love. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I just want to give you a moment. Stand up now. I just want to give you a moment. I just want to give you a moment just to consider that because I reckon the reason Mary knew that she could go to Jesus with that request is because of what she had witnessed. You know, I don't know what, we don't know what Jesus did. You know, we've got a couple of, um, of moments where we see Jesus as a, as a, as a young child, um, but there's not a lot we know. But Mary saw him every single day. And so there must have been something that she saw in Jesus that made her believe that her request would be given consideration by Jesus. And so I want you to spend some time right now just as the band plays, just considering those moments where Jesus has just shown up for you. Maybe in the little tiny moments. You know, I know for me, um, and I don't want to keep harping on about this, but I've got a baby. And, and the moments where I've just cried out to God to help him to stop crying or to go to sleep or to give me an hour of peace or whatever it is. That seems so inconsequential in the grand scheme of things when God's got a whole universe to rule and reign over. And yet I can go to God with those requests. And he answers them. You know, where has God shown up just to be kind? Just to show you how much he loves you. Just to show you that you are important to him. That you are not just a speck in the universe, but that you are central to his love. Just remind yourself of some of those moments now. And thank God for them. soon and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in a moment but I I do just want to take an opportunity just to see if there's anyone here this morning who has not accepted Jesus into their life. In other words, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and, and you want to make that decision today. You want to be in a relationship with Jesus that is defined by his love for you. If that's you here this morning, maybe uh, this is the first time, maybe you've been on a bit of a journey and you've been understanding more and more about who God is and, and this morning something's just clicked for you that God is about you, that God loves you, that God is inviting 
you into a relationship with Him. If that's you this morning, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. We're not going to do anything spooky. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to get you to show me who you are, and we're going to pray a prayer together. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you in a moment to put your hand up. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you've stepped away from faith for whatever reason. Maybe you got lost in the universe. Maybe you you just got so overwhelmed with the fact that God has so much more going on that He didn't have time for you. And you told yourself that, and so you just put more and more and more and more distance between you and God, and you lost your faith. And if you're here this morning, and you want to grab that relationship back and, and recommit your life to Jesus, recommit to being in that relationship with Jesus, I want to give you the same opportunity. I want to give you the same opportunity to walk out those doors this morning and be able to call yourself a Christian. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to get everyone here to close their eyes and bow their heads. And if you're here this morning and you want to put your faith in Jesus, you want to say yes to being in a relationship with Jesus, I just want you while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, just to raise your hand up really nice and high so I can see it. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to linger here for too long, so just show me who you are. Put your hand up nice and high so I can see you where you are. And I'm just going to pray a prayer with you, and it's going to be amazing. So that's you. I'm just going to give you one last moment to do that if there's anybody here that wants to do that. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Hey, the the, the team is going to uh, sing a song now, and I invite you to uh, be involved in that and sing a song from your own heart to a God who loves you. But if you're here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to be prayed for. So I'm going to get the prayer team to come down the front. If you're here this morning and you just know, you just need to redefine your relationship with Jesus. You know, Jesus has always been there for you, but maybe for whatever reason, you've taken a step back from him. And this morning, you just need to step back toward Jesus. You need to take a step toward Jesus and say, here I am, Lord. Can we have that relationship that's defined by intimacy? And you want to just declare that this morning. I want to invite you to come down the front and just be prayed for. Nothing crazy is going to happen down here. Just prayer. And it's just a moment for you to say, here I am, Lord. I'm back. And I'm going to define our relationship by you loving me. So if that's you this morning, just come down the front and be prayed for. And the rest of us can sing a great song to the Lord. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.